Good to see everybody this morning. You know, I was thinking when you were talking, Matt, um, appreciated, appreciated your honesty there, but, you know, grace is like a river. Um, and when we gather together as the church, we're not initiating the river. We're just jumping in, right? We're just joining ourselves to the flow of God's provisions. Um, and so no matter where we are, like, we're in the right place. We're, we're, um, we're sinking up uh, with the river of God and his love and grace for us. And that's going to be our topic this morning is God's grace. Uh, we're in a series on seeking him. Um, if you've been tracking along, we're in week five. And we've covered some pretty heavy-duty stuff like humility and honesty and repentance. Um, and so it makes me just ask this question, um, are we having fun yet? Um, you know, when you, look, when you look around the corner here, we have some, we have some more weighty topics you know, coming up, like um, obedience um, and holiness and uh, the giving and receiving of forgiveness and purity and these kinds of things ahead. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how you respond to the heavy-duty stuff. I mean, I know when I was in the week preaching on honesty, like, it took a toll on me that week. I mean, just to really be diving into that and to be, um, you know, honest with myself about things. And so, and so um, this, these are demanding topics, um, and we should be experiencing conviction, you know, of God's Spirit, because it's, that's part of his loving way of bringing us into his heart. However, what we don't, don't want to overload on is, like, failure and fear and guilt, um, you know, so th- there's a difference. There's a, there's a difference between conviction and all those things. Um, and so, you know, what... I want to kind of say to us at the beginning here is this is wonderful um, to, be, to be interrupting these really demanding truths with this wonderful truth this morning of God's grace. Because here's the, here's the incredible thing. God doesn't expect you to meet his requirements on your own. He provides this wonderful gift of grace. Now here's the, here's the trap um, of any religion, including Christianity, if it's misunderstood. Um, so if we define religion or faith as essentially a list of moral imperatives, like you should do this, you shouldn't do this, here's the way to life, here's the way to death, and we start to outline all these things, um, and we, we hold those up as the essence of what our religion is, there's one problem. Knowing what to do is different than knowing how to do it. Would you agree with me about that? And so it's not good news simply to know what the standard is if there is not capacity to do it. You see what I'm saying? That's not good news to find out that this is the way, but I can't walk in it. So the difference between religion and actually the the Christianity that Jesus actually came to give us is that he not only tells us the way, He shows us that, but he also does something in and for us that enables us that enables us to travel it, and that something is God's grace. So, what grace is, if you want a definition of it, the kind of a working definition this morning, is grace is God doing for us and in us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. So it is. It's literally from beginning to end. God working in us to do for us and through us and in us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. 
So Christianity is never a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of proposition. It's not simply about being good. It's about being gifted with love and transformation that actually comes from our maker from beginning to end and takes us all the way to his heart back home. And this is the story of grace. So here's a quote for you. The gods of moralistic religions favor the successful and the overachievers. They are the ones who climb the moral ladder up to heaven. But the God of the Bible is the one who comes down to this world and accomplishes salvation, gives us grace that we could have never attained ourselves. I love that. And then, I, and then this, the law or the moral, the moral code tells us how crooked I am. But grace comes along to straighten me out. I love that by Dwight Moody. So here's the question. How does grace operate in our lives? How does it straighten us? Um, and we have a wonderful text. If you were following along in the study, singing hymn study, um, this was one of our key texts. But it's from Ephesians. And the scripture tells us this. Once, you, once we were dead because of our many sins... But even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That's a lot of good stuff. That's a lot of good news in one verse. And this is really theology 101. I want to just go back to the basics this morning. And and we get it right from that text. All of us start dead spiritually. So the, the nature of sin is that it produces death. So all of us in our sin, part of us, Fundamental to the core of who we are, this capacity to really be in right relationship and connection to God and one another, gets broken by the power of sin. And the scripture says this is so profound that, that the metaphor is actually dead. And when you think about a dead thing, there's no life, there's no possibilities, there's no power, there's no potential. I mean, it's dead. Dead is dead, right? And so the scripture is saying we start there, which is why we need a fundamental transformation of our core. And Jesus talked about this all the time. I'm thinking of Nicodemus right now, a religious leader. He had the moral standards, and he came to, he came to, uh, to Jesus wanting to know how to have life. And, and, and Jesus kind of did theology one-on-one with him. He said, Nicodemus, listen, you're a great religious leader. You're a learned person. You're a smart man. But if you want eternal life, you've actually got to be born again. I mean, you, you have to have a fundamental resurrection in the same way that you were born physically, you need to be born spiritually. And that life actually comes from the Spirit of God. It doesn't come from natural means. And so you've got to be born again. And so Christ makes us alive. So he, he comes and substitutes for the sin penalty, which is death, with his death on the cross. Like his perfect life, he substitutes for us and the penalty of sin by dying on a cross to pay that that sin debt, but then so much more, he gives us his resurrected life. So he came out of the grave and by the Holy Spirit has life in his wings and he gives that to anyone who would come to him and ask. And so to be a Christian is not fundamentally to be morally superior, it's to be made alive by grace. And this is just, this is just the basics of theology. So listen to this quote, grace is the very opposite of merit. Grace is not only undeserved, 
but it is favor shown to the one who has deserved the very opposite. And then this quote, grace expresses two complementary thoughts. On the one hand, we have God's unmerited favor to us through Christ, and we have God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit. Do you see both movements of grace, both the movement that takes care of the death and the sin debt in us, that's the unmerited favor of God coming and to substitute for us on our behalf, but then the second part of it, just as powerful, that it's come as a divine principle of life by the Holy Spirit who lives in us and gives us power from the inside to be and to become all that God had in mind when he created human beings. And so the, the story of the Christian faith here is about grace. So here's the question then. How does grace assist us? How does grace assist us? And I want to suggest to you this morning that the, that the Scripture talks about four movements of grace. Four basic movements of grace. Grace that saves us. Grace that retrains us. Grace that sustains us, and grace that energizes us. Okay, we're going to take that kind of one at a time, and I'm going to show you briefly how this works in the Scripture. Now, grace that saves us. Kind of covered this a little bit, but the Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that God saved you and me by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's literally a gift from God. So you might be asking this morning, like, how do you actually enter into the river of grace? Well, you don't climb a mountain. You don't go on a pilgrimage. You know, it's not, it's not something that you, can, that you can merit just by your effort. It's something that has to be reached out to by faith. And so this is why Jesus talked about how even the littlest children were closer to the kingdom of heaven because they were willing to, they had less they had less resources to bring to the table, right? In terms of their resumes and their agendas and their track records, they could come simply. But Jesus says you got to come like a child where you basically look up in the way that a, a child would innocently and just say, I need help. I need resources. Like, you have what I need. Would you give it to me? Um, and this is, this is the essence of believing that, that God has this in his heart and will give it to anyone who asks. And we don't take credit for it. We receive it as a gift. And so saving grace, that which applies the substitution of Jesus to your sin debt and who opens you to the power of the Holy Spirit to make you alive, comes simply through believing. Like, so, so grace saves through faith. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a work. It's a gift. So here's a, here's a quote here from Philip Yancey that I love. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather on what God has done for us. Ask people what they must do to get to heaven, and most will reply, to be good. But Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do is to cry, help. And this is the nature of the way grace works because it's not merited. It has to come as a gift. Therefore, it comes through faith and through the asking. And it's bestowed by God freely. It's wonderful. It's God's gift to us and to humanity. So grace saves. That's one of the movements of grace. Secondly, grace retrains. 
Titus 2, 11 and 12 here, for the grace of God has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And John Piper says it like this, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. Now, think about this. It would have to be true. It's not when God comes to us with his grace, it's not as if he's saying, you know, all that sin and all that destructiveness and all that stuff that breaks you in the world doesn't matter. He's not saying, he's not saying oh, I'm kind of like a benevolent grandfather that kind of wink winks at things that actually destroy people. No, I have in mind something that actually will transform you. It will bring you from death to life, not just positionally, but actually practically. And, I, and I'm going to so ravish you with the goodnesses and the possibilities and the opportunities of what you were actually made for. Not destructive and diminishing things, but things that actually satisfy and give you life. That as you get to know me and my grace, it's going to actually start to tr- retrain you. It's going to teach you some things. It's going to teach you that you don't have to be under the power and the dominion of things that break and bind And it will give you the power from the inside to want and also to gradually begin to more and more lean into the things that make virtue and character and goodness and beauty. And so God has in mind for us and the whole human race that we actually become his vision of goodness. And grace is this principle in us that not only provides pardon for us, but it provides power in this. And it retrains us, and it redirects us, and it helps us. And if you're walking with Jesus and interacting with him and following his life, you're so ravished by his beauty and his wisdom and his knowledge and how smart he is that more and more you want to be like him. And you're asking Jesus constantly, teach me like about that. How, how do I be human in your image? And he begins to help us by retraining us. Thirdly, grace, this movement of grace, it sustains us. And I love this text in Hebrews. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to actually help us when we need it most. Now, life out there and all around is tough. Have you noticed that? Like, I mean... This is not a picnic out there. And if you lived it all, you know that life in a broken world, life with yourself, life with your family, life with others, life in the world, is full of pain. There's brokenness all around. You are hurt. You hurt others. Good, you know, bad things really do happen to good people. We have questions. We see suffering. Things do not make sense many times in life. There are agonies that go beyond just emotional hurts and pains. There's violence. You know, and maybe you're, you're a person who has actually suffered at the hands of someone else's evil. Or maybe you have someone close to you that has. We have disease and affronts of all kinds. 
even sometimes the people that we trust the most and who have loved us in various ways also fail us. And the people that we love, we fail. And so we carry in our bodies all this brokenness. And what's beautiful about the nature of grace is that God's saying, listen, I am, the, 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 the throne room is open now through Jesus. And I'm relating to you now in grace and mercy and as a father. And I want you to know that, that the door is open. You know, you've heard that expression at work, like my, my door is always open. Like literally God's door is always open. And he's wanting us to come for aid for the things that we need. And so grace is something that not only covers us once and for all when we come to him by faith, it's something that we need moment by moment. See this in our lives? Like we can go and appropriate it in every moment of our lives. And God is encouraging us to constantly run to him, you know, for help and grace in every moment of our need. And it's, it's odd because the people that, that learn the rhythm of grace in this way begin to look at problems and sufferings, not as good things, but it's actually as opportunities to tap into the reservoir of more grace. So listen to this quote by John Wesley. Um, again, 1800s a minister of the gospel who had amazing life but also many trials. He said this, the best helps to growth in grace are actually the ill usage, the affronts, and the issues which befall us. Now, is this, this guy's either nuts or he knows something about the nature of grace. Because what he's actually saying is, I, I've learned how powerful and how available grace is actually from my pain. It's from all the trials that I face. You know, he, this pretty much covers it too, right? It's like people, people, and all the rest. <laughs> you know, of, of what life throws at you. And he said, in every one of these trials, I've, I've learned that that grace actually sustains me. Like I, like, I can go to God for help, and he actually does. He actually provides something supernatural on the inside of me that helps me in the middle of life as I find it. Okay? And here's the, here's the fourth movement of grace. Grace energizes. And so we get it in texts like this that are interesting. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. It says, work hard, to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because we've talked about grace as a pardoning principle, as a gift, and now he's talking about working hard in grace. It's, it's like, get your, get your verbs straight, Paul. Like, are you saying it's a gift or that I gotta, you know? And, and here's the thing that you need to understand about grace. Grace actually is power and desire. Do you see that in the, in the text? So grace is not only pardon, it's not only the sufficiency to, to give us aid and forgiveness, but it's actually a, a life principle of energy and power working in us to give us the desire and power to obey God. It's like fuel for our engines. And so you can have this incredible, you know, like, automobile or boat or whatever it is with, you know, with all this horsepower. But guess what that boat needs to run? It needs gas. It needs fuel um, for the engine. And, and, and so Paul's saying, listen, I don't intend you to be passive. It's not like you're just sitting and taking everything in life. I've, I've intended you to transform and to overcome and to be victorious, to have energy and power and interest and, and on, you know, coming from your insides 
But that actually, that energy and power actually has a source. And it actually comes from me. So I, I love this quote. This is, this is one of my favorite quotes um, in, in the Christian body of literature from Dallas Willard. Saints burn more grace than sinners. They burn it the way jets burn rocket fuel. We have shrink-wrapped grace into forgiveness of sins, but it's way more than that. It is the power of life. And so grace is the energy, sort of like a light that you plug into a socket, right? And it draws energy from a source, and then it illuminates everything else. And our lives are like the light, and God and his grace is like the power source. And so as we learn the principle of grace, of crying out to it, of him, of saying aware and attending to him, the, the power, the current of God flows through our lives in ways that give us power and energy to actually live the beautiful and transformed life. Does this make sense? Now, you might ask, then how? How do I really live by the power of grace? I'm going to give you three or four things here um, that I think are just, they're just basic movements of our heart that need to become like, the story of our lives, like this continually happening in our lives. And the, the first thing is this. Um, we need to begin by receiving the gift of grace. Grace teaches us that God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And I, I should stop and just like not skip over this this morning. There may be somebody in the, in the room or somebody's in the room um, who you're still checking Christianity out or you've defined Christianity as a religion. And so religion is always about the opposite of what Philip Yancey is saying here. Religion says, bring your best to God so that he will love you. So you'll find acceptance. And so it will give you a list of things to achieve in order to be a good person. But Christianity is actually the exact opposite. It's not saying that you're loved because of what you do. It's saying God loves you the way you are. And he, trans, he gives you everything that you need to become different. So, so it's because of who he is that he loves you. And it may be that as you think about that definition of grace, you would say, well, I've never really received that. I've never really come to the table to just open my heart and say, God, I didn't even realize this, like, I want it. I need you, right? And I want your grace. And if, you have, if you've never done that, the, the place to start is actually to receive it. Secondly, after receiving it, we should never leave it. So like, like I told you, grace is not just the forgiveness of our sin debt. It is the power of life. And so we need grace actually when? In every moment of our life. It's not like we began our Christian faith by grace and then we do the rest of it by effort. No, we need grace. We need power and desire from God for every moment of our Christian life. And so between here and heaven, every minute that the Christian lives will be what? A minute of grace. A minute of grace. And so part of the, part of the how we live by grace is to realize that we need it all the time. And so for some of you sitting here, you're going, wow, like I remember the flood of grace that came into my life when I first came to Jesus, 
But it's been a grind ever since. And part of the reason might be that you have not been living those moments by grace. You may, you may, have, been, you may have really strapped it on to this idea that the rest of the Christian life was actually up to you. This could be very liberating to realize that you need grace as much now as you needed it at the, at the very beginning. Okay, so never leave grace. Thirdly, uh, we should admit that we need grace. So this is, no, this is not rocket science here. I don't claim it to be. Like, like, if you never leave grace, the way that you don't leave it is by every minute admitting that we need grace. That's why I love what Matt did like, when, he came, when he came up and just said, hey, like, I'm the worship leader. I've been down a little bit. Like, like I need grace. And he started playing a song. Like, it's, like, it's like so profound because what he was doing this, right? He was saying imperfection actually is the prerequisite for grace. Light only gets into the cracks. I love that image. Light only gets into the cracks. Now, let me just speak to this for a minute. Wouldn't it be the silliest thing in the world if we are people of grace as Christians? Like, like we started with the whole premise that we couldn't earn it, that God had to give it to us, that we needed every minute. Wouldn't it be the silliest thing in the world to begin acting like we have to fake each other out about the fact that we have needs for grace? Wouldn't that be odd? Like if a whole group, a group of people got together as Christians and decided that they couldn't be honest with one another about their needs and their brokenness, they could only show their good sides to each other. Because it's sort of like the opposite of the whole point, isn't it? Like the whole point of Christianity is that we were people that actually needed grace. Like we needed God's love. So like to come into a, into a Christian community and then pretend with one another and try to, check, you know, try to fake each other out to keep all the shame and the guilt and the brokenness to ourselves... It's sort of like saying, it's shameful to need grace. And so part of, part of living by grace is just to go, no, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe that that's what Jesus had in mind. Like, the whole point of the Christian life is actually to be connected to other people who actually know they need grace and to help each other go to this thing of admitting our need for grace and that we never leave it, see what I'm saying? And that we're crying out for it. And we're going to do this together rather than apart. And so, and so part of the whole movement of grace is actually to admit our need for it. Okay? And then this. We need to cry up for grace. Now, I, I, this is a plan words. Like, normally you cry out, right? I'm saying we should cry up. Because where does grace come from? It comes from God. So we cry up for grace. Grace only has one direction that it can take. Grace always flows down because it comes from God. Now, I was sitting this morning on my porch, um, and well, actually, right inside on my breakfast thing, looking out at my porch, and it was beautiful, right? This morning, sun was streaming, um, and my wife has these plants. Um, I don't know what they are. They're, they have big leaves. The leaves had moved. From the night before, they had moved and they were slam pressed up against my glass door, soaking in the sun. Like they were like they were like reaching for every bit of the sun. They were just like like literally like like plastered against my glass patio door. And I'm sitting there, looking at it, and I'm looking at my notes. I'm looking at that. I'm like, those plants are crying up for grace. I mean, they, they, the nature itself is teaching us the movement 
of how life actually works. Like, no shame, no whatever, just reaching up for grace. Just reaching, just plastering themselves for grace. What would it look like in our lives if we were people who continually just reached for grace, who reached for the sun, who were just like, yeah, I need it. Give, it to, give me every inch of it. I want to put every part of my body you know, on every part of his grace. I mean, I just want, I want it all. Like, just bring it to me. And this is the heart and spirit in the movement of how the Christian life works, where we are just constantly aware and inter- interacting and crying up to God for his grace. Okay, last point here. How to live by grace. We need to cry out for this grace right now. We need to do it now. See, God never gives strength for tomorrow or for the next hour, but only for the strain of this minute. Now think about this for a second. So many of us consume so much energy in shame and guilt about our past, either the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us, and, and I'm not minimizing that. You know, there's, there's process work and there's help for that. But I'm saying, like, sometimes we get so consumed with that. Or we worry incessantly, you know, like, just through the night and all the other times about the future. But let me, let me just ask you a question. It's a thought experiment. Can you change the past? Okay. What about the future? Any of you, can, can, can you control it? What's going to happen to you next? What moment do you actually have any agency in? Right now. And here's the incredible thing. Where does God's grace like, actually intersect us? Right now. And guess what? Where it intersects next? The next now. And the next now. And the next now. And the next now. So when I say do it now, I mean I mean it. Like do it now. Like and now. And now and now and now. Like, that's the way grace works, where, where every minute uh, we're just, we're in the present now with God going, I need your grace. I need your aid. I need your power and desire. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. Okay, and this is the way God's grace works. Now, listen to me. The seeking him thing is amazing because, like, these principles that we're learning are the pathway into God's heart, okay? But it will absolutely murder you if you miss this principle. Because you will take honesty and humility and, you know, like, obedience and purity, and you're just going to start adding to your list of all the things that you're not doing and that you need to start doing. It's going to murder you. God never intended you to live in those things apart from his grace. Like he's the one, he's the source of all this goodness. He's the one that gives you the power and desire for it. He's with you. What he's actually trying to bring you into is not a moral code. He's trying to bring you into himself. Okay? And the way that you access that is through this wonderful thing this wonderful, this wonderful provision of God's grace. So everybody smile at me. It's good. This is good news this morning. This is good news. Amen. Look at your neighbor and smile and say, there's grace. There's grace. There's grace. Um, do you want God's grace? 
Let's pray and ask, let's ask him to give it to us, okay? Lord, we love you. We're just so grateful that you're different than all the gods of the religions that like put a burden on our back and tell us to try harder. Um, but that you're the God who gives yourself to substitute for our brokenness and our sin and then to give us your resurrection life and to give us your Holy Spirit that's with us now. It's right now. And that we can ask you in every moment for the power and desire that we need. And we don't have to hide with one another anymore, Lord. We're, we're people of grace. So we just want to reach out to each other and love each other before we leave and just encourage and be mindful of the fact um, that need is no basis for shame. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the basis of connection in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.